When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is November and high on my list of things to be grateful for is the wonderful people who support this podcast by being a member of my Patreon page. I want to send out love and thanks to Mary Thomas, Chris Bloom, Terry Smith, Dale Hosek, Captain America, Stephen Malio, Liz Brunson, Levi Petrie, Betsy Hodges, John Munson, Belly Pori, Rob Barnett, Randy Brown, Steve Anzek, Yetta, Sylvan Groth, Jeff Ulmer, David and Jennifer Von Ebers, and Sean Poole. You too can get a personal thank you note from me, a shout out on at least one episode a month, plus access to unedited videos of the episodes. Go to patreon.com slash setlessingbruce to sign up for as little as a dollar a month. You also can sign up for a month free just to check out if this is something you'd enjoy supporting. Now, on to the show. Jerry Seinfeld, Leno, all the people I've mentioned and many more, Robin Williams, they've all bombed. That's how you learn, right? Failures are the stepping stones to success. If you don't fail, you don't succeed. But if you don't try, you don't fail and you don't succeed. And a lot of people are just afraid to try. Now, as an entrepreneur, I jumped into over a dozen different businesses and sometimes I got rich and sometimes I lost my ass, but I was always a trier. I believed in myself and went for it. People like Bruce Springsteen, the Beatles, other successful rock bands, along with successful comics, they have to have the determination and put in the hard work necessary that make it or fail it, they keep moving forward. And I think that's the point you're making is you have to put in the work. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I well, am wait, your host. Wait, 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 Jesse, did you say Bruce Springsteen? 
Yes. Oh, my God. I thought you wanted to do a podcast about George Springsteen. He's the accountant over at Farmers Insurance. I, I, I was totally confused why you would even do a podcast about George Springsteen. But now that I understand it's Bruce Springsteen makes much more sense. I, I, I just wanted to make sure I, I'll have to uh, apologize to George. I told him all about you. We could always get George on. Because I hear he has a fascinating story. <laughs> well, Bruce Springsteen's story is probably a little bigger. Uh, by the way. But I didn't mean to interrupt my, your opening, which I just did again. That is okay. Yes, we are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train. We are getting on the George Springsteen train. No, <laughs> we are getting on the comedy train. As you can already tell, uh, my guest is Scott Edwards. He says, even though he has spent 20 years on stage... He doesn't think of himself as a comedian, so I'm going to start right there. Why that? And by the way, well, please introduce yourself. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Jesse Jackson owed me some money, and he said this is the way to get compensation. So thank you, Jesse, for having me on this amazing worldwide podcast. And talk about worldwide. Bruce Springsteen, what a great topic to have on your podcast this very talented 74 year old guy from new jersey that uh, pulled up his levi's and, and carries the mantle of american patriotism everywhere he goes I, i'm so excited to be here very nice i actually anyway i want your question you mentioned before we hit record that you don't think of yourself as a comedian even though you've done that why why well, so let me explain to the audience. Please. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Scott Edwards. I opened and started a chain of comedy clubs back in August of 1980. When I did, it was the 12th full-time comedy club in the entire U.S. And it was just the beginning of the industry in 1980. I went on to produce a couple television series. I grew the club to a chain of three clubs. My very first act on stage was Gary Shandling. I got to work with Bob Saget, Dana Carvey, Dave Coulier, Jay Leno, name it. All those guys, Jerry Seinfeld, were regulars at my club. But I was the business guy, the producer that opened the club locations, ran it as a restaurant, ran it as a bar, produced the shows. And I mentioned to you, Jesse, that I was on stage. I was the house MC ah. 21 years. Now, some people think I'm funny. I just don't put myself in the realm of professional comic because I have a lot of respect for those guys that write material, go on stage night after night to hone a lump of coal into a diamond we call a joke and share it with the public. I just happen to be loud and obnoxious on stage. <laughs> I've had a couple of comedians on the podcast and we've talked about them. Some of them Springsteen fans, some of them not. And one of the themes that I always like to bring up is that everyone can be backyard funny or business meeting funny. And you will get a lot like you'll make that comment in a business meeting or you with your bunch of friends and everyone's like, man, you are funny. You should be in comedy. And <laughs> one of the and, worst statements ever to tell somebody. Yeah. And I always think that it is much easier to be in a meeting and throw in a joke or make a comment or an off the cuff picking at someone and you can have the audience loving it versus going to a club like you owned 
where someone has had to pay for babysitter and maybe parking and a couple of drinks minimum and food. And all of a sudden it's staring at he or she or they and go, okay, be funny. Right. It's I'm a room here. full of strangers that have a financial investment in the quality of the evening. They want you to be funny, but they don't know you. They don't know what your opinion is, where you're going to bring the comedy from. And you have people like Emo Phillips and Paula Poundstone that were very esoteric. You had Bobcat Goldthwait and a couple others that were a little more hard hitting. You had Bob Saget, who could, by the way, Danny Tanner from Full House was actually really filthy on stage. He didn't drop F-bombs. He just liked talking about sex. <laughs> but you never knew what you were going to get. And it was my job as the producer to develop talent, help them grow, help them hone their acts so that every time they got in front of a room full of strangers, they made them laugh and had a successful evening of entertainment. Why did you, and I'm going to get to the beginnings in a minute, but I'm fascinated by this. And I can guess the joke you're going to make, but I'm going to set you up anyway. Why did you want to get into the comedy club business? Because <laughs> I had failed at everything else. <laughs> no, it was seriously, I was an on, I was already an entrepreneur. I started my first company, a small construction company when I was 17 at age 19, I had a portable disco. Yeah, I'm old enough for disco company and I was selling life insurance as a young man and absolutely hated it and I was visiting the comedy store in Westwood California it's long gone it was across the street from UCLA a little room satellite room but I got a chance to see Dave Coulier and a few other acts live on stage that was my first experience with stand-up comedy and I was just blown away and I literally on the sixth our drive back to Sacramento from LA in my head did the whole organization. And when I got to Sacramento, I quit my job. I went bankrupt. I made a deal with a restaurant to go into their banquet room. And voila, three months later, I opened up laughs unlimited all comedy showroom with uh, Gary Shandling as the first opening act, his first out of town gig out of Arizona, where he was from. And the headliner was George Wallace, the king of Las Vegas. And the rest is history. People like Bob Saget, Dave Coulier helped me out in the beginning. Seinfeld, Mark Schiff, Dana Carvey, uh, Jay Leno, all these guys were very helpful in giving me advice because I was 24 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. It was all seat of the pants. But uh, after losing money for about six months, I was able to turn it around and as they say, the rest is history. I knew, By the way, the club is still operating. I'm not the owner anymore. I sold out in 2001, but it's still going. So it was one of the first clubs in the country, and now it's one of the longest-running clubs in the U.S., and I'm quite proud of that. You should be. That's a, that's a nice legacy. Not that we want to talk about our legacy while we're still alive, <laughs> but that's a nice thing to think of. Yeah. I, as I said, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur, Jesse. I've done uh, several things. Uh, I mentioned the first two companies. Uh, I When I had the comedy clubs, I opened other restaurants and art galleries. I had a beach shack in Hawaii. I owned a submarine in Monterey, California. I ended up going into, it's funny because talk about things going in full circle. I ended up starting and owning a medium-sized insurance agency in my older years, which I recently sold and retired out of that. So my job has always been finding that next adventure. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So I'm going to go to the beginning, and I, so I'm going to ask this in two ways, and answer whichever i'd like the answer to both but whichever whichever one you first i always like to ask where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to Uh, i also want to ask you it sounds like you always had that entrepreneurial gene where do you think you got that from (laughs) so those two great questions first i was born a poor black child in the backwoods of tennessee and loved the tangy oh i'm sorry that's somebody else's story i was born and raised in sacramento california right in the middle of california i have to apologize for the rest of the country for my state but i'm born and raised here hey i'm texas so trust me you have nothing to apologize for. Well, we got am... quite the governor and government here in the highest taxes, the highest gas prices, the highest home costs, the highest interest rates. I'm just saying we have beautiful weather and some great places to visit, but it's uh, hell to live here. Okay. My father was a traveling salesman. Okay. He started a couple small companies. But he wasn't around a lot. So I think I got his genes. But once they got torn and faded, I went out on my own and built little empires. Because I do not have that entrepreneurial spirit. I've always thought I did sell life insurance for a year and hated every minute of it. 
though it did serve me. When you work insurance, you're always prospecting to try to find someone else you can pitch to. If you're a podcast host, you're always prospecting for your next guest. It is. I ended up for the last 15, 20 years of my working life as a insurance broker. And I liked insurance and chose insurance because my love came for customer service. And it goes back to the comedy club days, even the first construction company when I was 17. When you're providing a service to somebody and asking them to pay you for it, I took pride in a lot of effort to make sure I did it right. And whether I was doing a construction job, booking a trip at my travel agency, booking a comedy club or selling insurance, It was all about how best to take care of my customer. And that's what I enjoyed. The product seemed to change over the years, but it was all about interacting and providing good customer service. By the way, you asked about music. I am older, obviously a lot older than you, Jesse. And I grew up. I bet you not. (laughs) I was born in 59. Yeah, I was born in 55. Okay. All right. So you are I one of the you. few guests. Usually people are <laughs> younger than me. So yes. Okay. Yeah, everyone's younger than me. So woohoo! Yes. Except Bruce Springsteen, by the way. There we go. 74. Yes. Oh no, but I grew up in that Vietnam era, rock mm-hmm. and roll, a lot of ballads, a lot of what's called classic rock now, bands like The Doors, The Grateful Dead. Jethro Tull, the Beatles, Chicago. There was a a really strong rock music foundation in the 60s and 70s and my evidence of that jesse is that music still goes well today whereas if you take the music from the late 70s or 80s or 90s no one's listening to that crap now but we're still listening to the rock and roll of the 60s and early 70s wouldn't you agree yeah i do as a child of the i have a I graduated high school in 77, so you would have graduated in 72, right, around that? I was a little slow, 73. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So I have a little bit of a soft spot for some of my 70s music. But yes, and I know, like, little Steven last year put out a book that was his kind of his story, but it also was a history of the music and how... Of a homage uh, to music. yeah, Yeah, because last year... My brother-in-law, who's 10 years older than I am, we were at a family get-together. We had gone out to, we had rented a cabin in Arkansas. Oh, Arkansas, I'll talk slower. Oh, yes, indeed. So he he's the older brother, and then I'm married to his younger sister, and then they have one more sister. So the six of us were all there, and I pulled out and I said, hey, I want to talk to you. And because he was that, in high school... He started a band and he went all the way till when he had to quit and go to New Orleans to go to school, playing at all the different VFWs, the same thing that Bruce talks about in his biography. And there you was cut your, yeah. And, and just to relate, I'm interrupting. I'm sorry, no, Jesse, that's but okay. to relate it to comedy, that's what my comedy club and a lot of other comedy clubs were. They were places where talented people could cut their teeth, learn their craft. And hopefully go on and get what we call the golden ticket, maybe get a sitcom or have a good career touring or something. But Bruce always talks about playing the VFWs and the small halls because that's where he learned his craft. He had the talent. 
But trust me, folks, even if you have the talent, you have to work at it to make it happen. It's the same in stand-up comedy. Jerry Seinfeld or Bob Saget just didn't get up on stage and boom, they were funny. They went through many years of small stages and bombing and trying different things until they found what I call the comedic voice that carried them into their future careers. But uh, you're absolutely correct. In music, it's all those small venues that we used to be able to go to for a couple bucks ahead and and hear great music. Everybody knows the story of the Beatles playing the Cavern in some of these really small clubs in Germany and in England. What was maybe 60, 50 people fit in the, in the club? And yet this is where they played night after night, learning the best way to play guitar, the best way to harmonize, right? Yeah. And I, a couple things, Kevin Pollack is doing a podcast about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So he's going through every episode and having a different guest. And he talked about that one of the things that he really appreciated on the series is they showed that the character had to work it wasn't she got on stage was a fluke and then couldn't do it again right had to go through that you've got to be bad and he talked about that journey and he was glad that they were able to show that in a way that made it entertaining and then the other thing i thought of is jason isbel was being interviewed and he's my latest musical obsession he talked about that he now he owns the record company he puts out his own music and so he doesn't put out an album till he thinks it's ready versus if you have a record company it may tell you okay you've got five good songs let's go and you we may, have to have it by a certain date instead of yes. making sure it's right and so he talked about now then you're able to um put music out almost immediately via youtube or spotify all these things and he said the worst thing that happens is someone puts out a song and it becomes popular and therefore they think they're good. <laughs> That's like all these people on the internet that, and I'm not kidding, Jesse, there's a number of people that were putting out internet little, literally 90 seconds of them doing something funny and two or three of them hit and they get a hundred thousand hits and some stupid producer would book them and pay him $10,000 to come and do a headlining yeah. set. And guess what? They had three minutes of material. They couldn't fill an hour or half an hour. And it, they're all huge disasters. But that's where the ego gets ahead of the work it takes to be a talent. Yeah. And I, it is, I, I love your idea, right? That you give them that safe space and then. I think yeah, everybody bombs. To... Yeah, I mean, it does. everybody, Jerry Seinfeld, yeah. Leno, all the people I've mentioned and many more, Robin Williams, they've all bombed. That's how you learn, right? Failures are the stepping stones to success. If you don't fail, you don't succeed. But if you don't try, you don't fail and you don't succeed. And a lot of people are just afraid to try. Now, as an entrepreneur, I jumped into over a dozen different businesses and sometimes I got rich and sometimes I lost my ass, but I was always a trier. I believed in myself and went for it. People like Bruce Springsteen, the Beatles, other successful rock bands, along with successful comics, 
they have to have the determination and put in the hard work necessary that make it or fail it, they keep moving forward. And I think that's the point you're making is you have to put in the work. Yeah, you really do. And it is, you'll hear, like I said, I've talked to a couple of podcasters and they'll say, I'm not comedians, like in trying to work that, I, I think I have a joke here, but I've got to figure out where am I starting the joke too soon in the story or am I starting too late? Do I, how do I manipulate and what's the right word that's going to be funny? And yeah. go ahead. You no, to say I was something. just going to extrapolate on that and say that it, it uh, what's interesting about it makes, I think, stand-up comedy harder than music is that Bruce Springsteen or, or his buddy George Springsteen can play all the guitar and sing all they want in their bathroom and practice in their garage band or like you said, in those small halls. But a stand-up comic can't just stand in front of a mirror and get tell jokes and get that same, know if there's a reaction from the audience. You have to have a room full of strangers to gauge where the material's going. Then once you have a funny premise, you have to build it into a comedy set or a series of jokes. And that's where you're talking about. It comes down to timing, the right words, like fork is funnier than spoon for some reason. You have to have a pat. It's interesting, Jesse, because this is a music podcast. There is a rhythm to comedy you have to have the comedic rhythm to present the material so that it engages and relates to the audience you could have the funniest joke in the world but if you don't tell it correctly it's going to bomb yeah and i agree with that because you're sitting there and bruce has talked about this that every in fact he they were talking about when he was going to do the super bowl and he said that his biggest fear was what if it didn't start right? And he says every once in a while on a live gig, it's not clicking. Just something's going on and the audience isn't there. And he says There's they'll usually, right. yeah, they'll pull an audible. They'll pull something, a different song out of the order or another song to get people shaked up. And he said, with the Super Bowl, I only got 11 minutes. <laughs> I don't have time to, if I'm not connecting, I've got to get them immediately because I don't have time to try to do an audible and try to figure it out. It's interesting you mentioned that, Jesse, because to relate it to comedy, which is what yeah. I think we're here to do, a great analogy of that is on America's Got Talent. Yeah. One of the reasons the comics never win the whole thing is because... They don't have time to warm up the audience. When you're doing comedy, the audience has to like you. They have to know where you're coming from. Are you a liberal? Are you a, a conservative? Are you uh, a hippie? Are you a, a business owner? What direction is the comedy coming from? And on a live comedy stage, you got anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour, depending on what position you're in, to let the audience get to know you, and then you hit them with your opinion on things. Take somebody like Paula Poundstone, who's really esoteric and out there. She, If she just went straight out on stage, laid down on her back and started eating packets of sugar, the people aren't going to think she's funny. They're going to think she needs a rubber room. But if she talks to him, tells her about her weird past and where she's coming from, and then she does that, 
it's the funniest thing they've ever seen. The other thing, if you don't mind me taking it to another level, Jesse, is in music, what's interesting, and again, I, I sound biased on this, and I want to apologize to your audience of music lovers. I still think stand-up comedy is harder. Why? Besides not being able to practice until you're in front of an audience, but also you're a soloist, always a soloist, right? It's one person. Even Bruce Springsteen had Clarence Clemens and Stephen Van Zent. I had to read that to backing him up the E street band to make yeah. him a success. Now that doesn't mean he wouldn't have been a success maybe as a soloist. And we saw the Beatles broke up and they all went off yeah. and did some music. But in the beginning, most musicians have a band, have a group right. of people that are gelling, which is actually difficult, gelling and coming together to get the right sound. Stand-up comics don't have that. They can't blame anybody. Hey, let's say, hey, Clarence, that set didn't go well because you weren't hitting the beat, right? Yeah. A stand-up comic turns around, there's nobody there. It's just him. And I would, I would also make the point that you absolutely have soloists singer songwriters right but they're telling stories with their music almost always and what are comedians doing they're telling a story if right? they're good they bring they bring the material in a format that is easily relatable and a story is the easiest way to do that how many times have you heard hey i, I went down to the grocery store and then there's a joke, but you've already started the story. It's like right. once upon a time, right? Hey, I yeah. was in an airplane, boom, yeah. a joke, right? You're setting up the story. And in music, it is really intriguing that some of the most successful musical artists were known for the stories they told. One of my, you asked me one of my favorite albums from when I was a kid, and it was Sgt. Pepper by the Beatles. Yeah. Because all those songs, and they were all so different, all had a different story. In the case of Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run or Born in the USA, were telling a different story, yeah, coming from a different direction. But he always had that, I, and one of the things I respect about him is that kind of small town, blue collar, pro-American point of view. And I think that's another reason he's so successful and memorable. Yeah, and I think one of the things that we, as pretty hardcore Springsteen fans, every once in a while the casual fan will be very unhappy when they'll say, shut up and sing. But he's always <laughs> been, has been an advocate, like Born in the USA is certainly patriotic, but it isn't what a lot of people think. It's about Vietnam vets and coming back and not being able to, not being treated correctly. No, it's more of a folk song that tells it's relating a story, but it's not necessarily a happy, loving story. Yeah. And, and there, I remember once somebody said he chose to have that story against such this anthem rock, right? Because there is, if you look, Scott, there is a blues version of Born in the USA that he originally was doing. It was going to be similar to what was on Nebraska. And I don't know if you've ever taken time to watch him on Netflix. They have his Broadway special. So if you haven't, I, it's worth the two hours. It is him 
telling the, I mean, basically it's him on Broadway and he's telling his story and he tells he's stories. He's framing music. the music, right. Yeah. He's in a song. You only have so many verses to try to get right. a, a point across Yeah. in the special. He's able to elaborate and say, why did I sing this? Yes. And this is the emotional position yeah. that I was taking and why. And what's interesting is that it's only in recent, I'm older, in the last couple of decades that you had the opportunity to really go behind the scenes and learn yeah. about the music. The Beatles recently had an anthology special where they're showing them in the studio and there was yeah. some infighting and what songs made it to the album and what did is it. Uh, I think it was a Let It Be album. And it's fascinating for us fans to see that one, they're human. Two, that these things... It's so funny, a lot of people in the audience, and, and I'm not belittling the audience, but a lot of people are a little naive and they think that oh, a stand-up comic goes up on stage and he's just thinking up the stuff off the top of his head and he's a genius or a musician goes up and he plays the song and every note is perfect and, and the lyrics are perfect and he just wrote that. No, that takes hours, months, sometimes years of formulating and putting together and finding the right order, whether it's music or comedy, to make that moment seem first time for the audience. And I think that's why a lot of comics especially become actors, because the a really good comic acts like he just thought of this so that it makes him come across that much more a genius with the audience, right? The audience is thinking, Oh my God, he he just made this up on the spot. No, he's for been us, doing it for alone. four years. We were like, oh my good, this is and there and then you get this personal connection. I'm gonna get <laughs> to music, but I had a couple more uh, comedy questions. Okay. This is one of those that you may it may it's a cliche, but I'm curious. In all those years, is there anyone that specifically surprised you? You went, wow, this performer wow, this is really knocked your socks off. And the reason I was like, I remember, and this is silly, but my son was playing Little League and there was one kid on his team that was just light years better than everyone else. Right. And when he was, when my son was 18, so that was probably eight, nine, 10 years later, I saw this kid, local kid from Dallas get drafted. And I went, is that the same name? And sure enough, I dug up in this kid. And I was like, I, I said, remember, I said, this kid is different. He was drafted by the major leagues. So is there someone you went, wow, this is someone, this should be someone who goes special. I, again, I, Jesse, I was really blessed to work with some people before they were famous. When I yeah. name drop Leno or Saget or yeah. Seinfeld, this was before they were household names. And I saw him flame out on stage. There are people that you go, I'll, I'll give you an example. Ellen DeGeneres worked my club as a feature act. So that's the middle position. It's only okay. a few hundred dollars for a whole week of work. She only had to do 20 minutes, but I could see already, and this was probably a good five years before she became Ellen, yeah. that she had that ability. Another one was Paula Poundstone. She was the only act in my 21-year history as a producer that I let work multiple weeks at my club because when she first came out from Boston where she was an open micer, yeah. I had her as an opening act, and she sucked. 
she really just wasn't that funny. She was just so strange, but I could see that she had the ability to do it. So I let her work multiple weeks with different headliners that all gave her advice and all gave her suggestions. And by the end of that, she had a great opening set. And then she went on and got became a feature and then a headliner and, and yeah. quite famous. But that's just a couple examples. Dana Carvey was a feature act when he first uh, came out of the Bay Area and worked my club and was very funny. He could do impressions and music and very funny stand-up. And uh, I just kept booking him over and over because I could just see this guy was going to be uh, amazing. And then one night after a show, it was a Thursday night, I had him in, a, in an apartment complex and we met over there and we're having drinks in the jacuzzi, hanging out with some girls and doing what we do. And he goes, Hey, I just got off the phone. Lauren Michaels just called me and asked me to come to New York to showcase for Saturday night live. And I go, man, that's amazing. He goes, yeah, but I'm, I don't know if I'm ready. I'm scared. I was there for that moment. Wow. That's a he special went, moment. Yeah. When he went from just another comic to one of the stars of Saturday night live, and then he got some movies and of course, Wayne's world, incredible talent. I had nothing to do with where his yeah. talent came from, except that I gave him a lot of stage time and just happened to be there within a few hours of the call from uh, Saturday Night Live. So that was amazing. But there's always been special people that came through that, and some of them, that's interesting. I'm going to sidetrack a little. Sure. On my podcast, Stand Up Comedy, your host and MC, I showcase comedy material, live sets from comics and interviews from the comics and I say right in the intro of the famous and not so famous. And the reason is, is that we could all name eight or 10, what I call golden ticket comics that had huge, massive careers and they're almost household names, but there are literally another 500, I won't say thousands, really funny people that had great lifelong careers as stand-up comics and no one knows who they are. They're, in other words, they have their own following and stuff, but they're not quote unquote famous. So there's a lot of talent out there. I'm sure it's the same in the music industry is that we all could name 20 or 30 or maybe 50 celebrity stars in music. But there's another couple thousand that are make quite a good living and, and perform all over the country. And, and there is that there are. Like I do another podcast, which is a perfectly good podcast where me and my co-host are counting down every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. And many people go, who's John Hyatt? And he's it's got to be a short podcast. You do it once you're done. Yeah. And he has over 400 songs. He is. Wow. Uh, he he's. Are you ready for this thing called love? Bonnie Raitt. He wrote that. Have a little faith in me that was featured in tons of movies. He wrote that. Oh, uh, so he so, writes as well. Yeah, he composes yes. as well yeah. as performs. The comic ventriloquist Willie Tyler and Lester. Yeah. Very successful. Tons of TV. One of the only black successful. And his buddy Lester is famous on site. He actually writes music in his song, in his stage work. He sings a couple songs with Lester. But he writes songs that have been covered by other artists. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was just the connection of comedy. No, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Because there are those musicians that just it never clicked. That oh, right. It, yeah. That's and, your point. And Everybody exactly. Jesse just made like the, the point. 
Yay! Um, when you're booking, so normally three comedians on a normal night, how much thought do you put in? And here's where I'll bear me with me a little bit. Last summer, or summer before last, there was a in at the Woody Guthrie Museum, which was Bruce Springsteen Live. And it was from the his archives at Mammoth University. And there was a kiosk where it listed every decade and five or six shows from each decade. And then it would show you the set list. And then it would pick which of these songs were the set list, were the encore, and in what order, right? Wow. And there was a thing, him explaining how you build an a encore set list. He said, you do this and it ends in one chord. So you want the next song to have a similar chord. So you feel like you're just transitioning. And it was pretty interesting to think that, okay, it's not just, oh, here's four or five songs I haven't played yet, or the songs I need to play, right? There are certain songs that, okay, you know, how much time like that goes in building your three show? Your performance. That's a great point of interest when it comes to music and comparing it to comedy. And I'm going to uh, take you on a little journey on that. First off, I mentioned I was a professional DJ back in the disco days. Uh, I want to hear about that. Yeah. So, yeah. And everybody knows that as a DJ, your whole job is to meld the songs together so that the people don't leave the dance floor. And you always start off. It's a little bit different than comedy in this because as a DJ, I would start off soft and slow dancing and then medium dancing. And then you hit the rock and roll and they're just going crazy. Then they're tired. So you have to bring it back down. So it would go up and down. There'd be a crescendo and then come back down and then take them back up through the evening. Usually a DJ gigs three to four hours. You bring them up and down several times. And that's to pace the audience and the dancing to the Uh, whole energy of the evening in comedy it's a little bit different because and i think it's probably similar in a live performance set by springsteen is that you have to grab the audience right out of the bat and prove you're funny in his case a musician you have to prove hey this is bruce springsteen you're hearing live so he's going to play one of his hits right off the bat and get the energy of the crowd up but there's no way to leave that energy high for an hour and a half show. So just like in comedy, you hit them hard with what I call your B material. Your what's really good, but not the best you have. Prove that you're funny. And then you go into that comfortable zone, just like a musician where you play some of your B sides for comics. They're playing some jokes that they're working on or ones that they want to adjust or that they're funny, but, or have a good story, but they're not really huge guffaw kind of bits, but then you build a crescendo and you build it up with better and better material. And just like a musician, you want to just have the audience falling out of their chairs, laughing and go, thank you. Good night. And there's not a lot of callbacks or encores in comedy, although I have seen it happen, but that's how a set should go. Start off high bring it down, plateau it, and then just kill them at the end. I think, and I could be wrong, but for musicians, you want to grab the audience, keep them entertained for the next hour, and then the last 20 minutes, you just bust their ass so that right. they're 
sweaty and and excited right. and just spent by the end of the concert. Yeah, and there's been a little bit of discussion this tour here. Bruce has not changed his set list as much as he has in the past, and there's been a little you bit of controversy. Seventy four, huh? Yeah, he's seventy four. Got to yeah. keep it easy to remember. He's still hitting almost three hours, but most oh, wow. nights he ended with "I'll see you in my dreams," which is off his last studio album, and it's all about facing mortality and things it's a really beautiful song with? yeah but he, very... does he, he has an encore after that no that's oh, what that's there was a discussion yes so he will oh, do it and they'll come back and they'll do so it's almost like they they will do of course born to run 10th avenue freeze out all these dancing in the dark he'll do all these songs and then it's like they'll do the 10,000 freeze out and they're just doing all this wildness and everyone's crazy. And then he just with his guitar will send us off, send us off with, I'll see you. Interesting. See, I haven't seen that. And I think that's a personal choice by Bruce. I think a lot of bands want to be like a lot of comics and end them on a high note and get that on. And for music, get an encore two or three. I was able to see Paul McCartney live a couple of times and he always ended with one of the Beatles songs that he developed. Even though he was with wings, he would end on one of his biggest hits because that's almost guarantees an encore. And, but Bruce, I think has reached a stage in his life where he doesn't need to do that. He understands that the people that paid to see him at this late stage in his career are true fans. And I think he makes the obvious choice that I'm going to make this very personal, no band, no E street, just me and the audience. And I'm going to, I'm going to, it's my farewell song. Yeah. In fact, like one of the shows, I just grabbed one on average. So they'll end He'll do Thunder Road, the band, and then they'll take their break and they come back, Born to Run, Rosalita, Bobby Jean, Glory Days, Dancing in the Dark, 10th Avenue Freeze Out. And at that time, it's just, ah, and then you're like, then it's by himself, just him on stage with guitar. I'll see in my dreams. And as someone who is at the age you and I are at, I think you'll appreciate I'll see you in my dreams. It he it especially if you're thinking of friends you've lost, like Bob Saget and others, I think you'll appreciate it. All right, gosh, we've already gone well, 45 you know, minutes. And but just one other thing is that please. it's also similar to Frank Sinatra. He would have a lot of really big hits, but he yeah. always ended in I did it my way. Right. Yeah. And that was his uh way of saying thanks for being my fans thanks for enjoying my music and i hope you appreciate that i did it my way and i think that's bruce's version of that but that's a a fascinating topic thanks jesse yeah no problem my favorite story about that you're talking about sinatra linda ronstadt was on the tonight show with johnny carson so i've dated myself very much there right (laughs) (laughs) that he was asking he said you recently saw frank sinatra and she goes yes she goes, and she says, I get tired of singing Blue Bayou and some of the other songs. You're no good. And so when I was going to go see Frank, I I wanted to hear all the hits. I had a list of things and it hit me. Oh, my goodness. My audience is me. <laughs> and so now <laughs> then, 
It's because when I do Blue Bayou, I do it with enthusiasm because I know there's someone who paid that money. That's their favorite song and they want to hear, right? right? And that's where you have, as a professional entertainer, you have to take your personal feelings out of it yeah. and put the wishes of your audience, your fans, right ahead of your own right i'm sure frank yeah. got tired of singing certain songs but he knew the audience is waiting for him one of the great uh, joys i've had is uh, i can now call him friend i've interviewed him a couple times he's done several set comedy sets on my uh, podcast and a couple interviews his name's tom dreesen and he okay. was the opening act for frank sinatra for wow. over 15 years and was actually a pallbearer at his funeral and Tom has some amazing stories about Frank, but one of the things that comes across and hearing Tom tell the stories, sadly, I never got a chance to meet Frank, but was that he never forgot the audience, right? Yeah. He realized he was only the successful person he was because of his fans and because of the audience. And so much like you just said, he put his personal feelings aside and sang the ballads and the cover tunes that made him Frank Sinatra. Yeah. So talk about the podcast. What's the name of it? And oh, why did you well, start the fancy podcast? You mentioning that Jesse. Yes. Yes. I am a podcaster. I have a couple different podcasts. One's a short form, always pure comedy called comedy appetizers. It's available on all platforms only last three to seven minutes. And it's always just pure comedy, but my main podcast, and I'm very proud to say I've had over 120,000 downloads is called stand-up comedy your host and MC, and it is switches off each week. One week, it's pure stand-up comedy, various comics doing sets. And the next week, I interview professional entertainers, booking agents, club owners, you name it. And I think it brings, it's all stand-up comedy. So you got to like stand-up comedy. But between those two, you're going to find some very entertaining content that will make you laugh. And then to bring it all together, Jesse, I did launch a podcast network which for those that don't know it's basically a pool of podcasts mine's called the stand-up comedy podcast network the stand-up comedy podcast network available on all apple and android phones it's a free app and if you go to that app you'll see over 20 different podcasts that are produced by stand-up comics along with mine there's also joke of the day there's some great videos and blogs, some really fun stuff. So between those three things, anything you have about stand-up comedy, I'm on it. <laughs> no, that would be great. And send me the link because I'll include that in the show notes. Why did you decide to get into podcasting? I was, I mentioned I was getting older and I had my insurance agency and it was starting to wind down. I didn't actually shut it down. I sold it. And then I stayed on as an employee for a couple of years and made sure the guy that bought me out survived. But it was during that time I was looking for my next adventure and I really missed the comedy industry. And I do want to make it clear to the audience. I've always kept my toes in comedy. I produce maybe four shows a year for charities and rotary and other organizations. And I have a pool of friends that are in the business and I've been doing that some, what, 45, almost okay. oh, a long time, almost 50 years, a long time. And I thought I'd write a book 
And I spent over a year and wrote this really amazing book on my life and stand-up comedy. And I got done and showed it to my wife. And she goes, no one's going to read your stupid book. You ought to do a podcast. And I'm like, what's a podcast, right? Now, I knew what one was, but I never listened to one. So then I listened to a few. I did some studies on learn the industry. And right before, it's interesting because it was about a month and a half before COVID, I launched my first podcast. And then, of course, once COVID hit, everybody and their brother had one for a few weeks. But I'm still going over uh, 250 episodes, four years in. And like I said, 120,000 downloads. I'm very proud of it. But what's the short answer to your question is it allows me to relive the enjoyment I had in the comedy industry and reconnect with the people I used to work with. Are there who I, cause I, I always let the reason I asked this in, I'd asked you before on the show, but are there episodes that you're obviously proud of all of them, but is there a couple episodes that you, when you would, for a new listener, hey, this one's pretty special. Well, you, like you said, I You're have picking a, your uh, kids. I understand. Yeah, yeah I have uh, a love for all of them, but they're all different. There's some examples. I've I did a several large concerts. I was I did TV series. I did concerts, and one of them was with I did three with Jay Leno, and he was amazing. He could do 90 minutes of stand up comedy. There's a couple shows where he's doing. 20, 30 minutes straight of just audience material that I think are special. And then one of my favorite acts ever was a very funny comic by the name of Larry Miller. Everybody should Google him. You go, oh, I know that guy. He's done literally over 100 movies and TV shows. But he was also one of the funniest stand-up comics ever. And I share some of his live bits on stage. And then interview-wise, like I mentioned, Frank Sinatra. I also uh, interviewed the guy that was the opening act for George Carlin. I've had a chance to interview Tom Sawyer, who ran Cobb's Comedy Club for 30 years in San Francisco. And he had amazing stories. So there's different reasons for different shows. And I try to mix them up so my audience hopefully is never bored. It's either pure stand-up comedy or an interview with a professional. But there's some really good gems in there. There's some great comedy by Dana Carvey. And you mentioned Kevin Pollack. He worked my club a lot before he became famous. And in fact, I'll shoot you a, a copy of the show. But I have a great short set of co- Kevin Pollack. A lot of people don't know he's a famous actor, but was really a successful impressionist back in the uh, early 80s and yes. I have a great comedy set where he's doing all his impressions so I'll oh, I'll send I'd love you that. to see that yeah that's great yeah I will have to check out the podcast that sounds a lot of fun I and I also I like the idea of the little comedy teaser right the appetizer oh, comedy appetizers yeah well that's... yeah my other show used to run an hour and then yeah. people just don't have the time I've cut it back right. to about uh, 35 45 minutes but I still wanted time to get a good interview in. And I had people saying, we just want to hear almost like a joke of the day. So comedy yeah. appetizers are all pure comedy. They're out every Friday. They're like three to seven minutes. It's a story or a comedy bit, but it's always funny. And I just want your audience to know, Jesse, I did my homework. Let me share how proud I was to find out that Bruce Springsteen had 20 Grammy Awards, and one of the few hit artists that has his own Academy Award. I did my homework. You did do your homework. Yes. He is an Emmy away from having an EGOT. Ooh, those are huge and rare. 
Yeah, he. You might have to tell the audience what that is. Yeah, it is. He was nominated for an Emmy for his Netflix special. He has won a Grammy. He has won an Oscar for Philadelphia, Streets of Philadelphia. And he received an honorary Tony Award for his spring scene on Broadway. Wow. Well, see, people, if you get an EGOT, you've gotten all those four awards and it hasn't happened very often. So I hope Bruce takes it off the temporary and becomes a full Tony winner. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, And it was an honorary Tony. So it was it was it's a full Tony. It was just it was for his work on that. So, yeah, we need need to make it good. And then everybody knows in 1999, he went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that, of course, for a musician is really the epitome of a career. So we're very proud of uh, George Springsteen. I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry, yeah. Bruce Springsteen. George is funny in the break room. <laughs> he will break out. No, he's a good the- musician in yeah. the bathroom. Yeah, he is. <laughs> oh, oh, quick story. Yes. I know we've got to go. Gary Shandling was working my club back in the early 80s. It was like a Tuesday night. There's maybe 14 people in the audience. And this guy gets up, one of the audience members, and goes to the bathroom. And Gary just stops his show and says, that's too high a percentage of the audience. Come with me. And he takes the other 13 men and women into the men's room, which wasn't very big, stood right behind this guy that's at the urinal looking quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Packed in the other 13 people and then just went on with the show like nothing had happened. (laughs) That only happened once in my 21 years. That's a great story. But a bathroom comedy set. There you go. That is awesome. All right. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you share how to reach you. But before I do, I end every podcast with the Mary question. So if you're a fan of Scott's work and you're checking out this podcast, thank you. By the way, I I share your love with your beautiful bride. When I first said I was going to do a podcast, my wife said, why the hell would anyone listen to you? (laughs) (laughs) I actually got a great compliment where my wife, who I make her listen to my podcast, literally make her. She listened to somebody else's podcast and she came back to me over dinner and she goes, you're really pretty good. (laughs) And it made me feel good. It was like, oh, I I had no idea you had any talent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, I end every podcast with the Mary question. Jay Armstrong who was an honors English teacher. He's now retired. But when he was teaching, he would give his students the lyrics to Thunder Road. They would read them and they would talk about it as if it was a poem. Talk about the themes of this song, his word choices, what the imagery Bruce is trying to paint. And then at the end, he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? Scott, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? It's interesting because I went to my close personal friend, George Springsteen. Oh, and I good. asked him if Mary got in the car and he said, yes, she definitely got in the car. I'm going to go with the, the expert Springsteen and say that, yes, Mary got in the car. Super. Very nice, Scott. All <laughs> right. Tell us if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Hey, there's so many different ways. I mentioned the two podcasts, Stand-Up Comedy, your host and MC, and also Comedy Appetizers, available on all platforms. There's the new podcast network, standupcomedypodcastnetwork.com on your computer or on any Apple or Android phone. It's a free app. And if you're absolutely desperate for some conversation from an old guy, email me at scottscomedystuff at gmail.com. That's scottscomedystuff at gmail.com. 
you can you may take the guy out of the radio but you can't take the radio out of the guy <laughs> all right scott thank you so much this was a hey blast. jesse this has been a blast thank you so much i am glad listeners go check out the website go check out the cast tell them we sent you for now everyone be safe be kind and we'll talk to you soon goodbye You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.